Lord's good, amen. amen. I want you to turn to First uh, Peter chapter 3. You know, I've been looking over this scripture, and I, th- this, this series isn't a purpose to cover every verse, verse by verse, but I was, I was looking at chapter 3, and Peter starts talking specifically about wives and husbands and how you should treat each other. And I want to say I'm not skipping this because I'm scared of the topic or my wife and what I might face at home. But we're going to be doing a marriage and relationship series later this winter. But as Peter talks to wives and husbands about how they treat each other, he then turns his attention to those in the church. Who knows that we are living in a very divisive time here in our country, particularly. And if we look over the church's history, we would find many examples of division, hurt, and discord. Now, praise God, I I haven't heard of or know of any kind of division that has taken place in this church, but I think any time that humans are involved in the work of God, there is an opportunity for it to be messy. Who knows what I'm talking about? And we're all very different people. We all have different opinions, habits, desires. And sometimes we might feel like we personally would be better off alone on our own. Who has ever shared that opinion before? I'd just rather do it by myself. But I think, and I I want you to hear me out on this, I think our unique assembly is by God's design. I want to say that again. I think our unique assembly is by God's design. And his church, even the singular church, like us as an individual church, should represent the kingdom of God well. Now I want to say that again. Our church should represent the kingdom of God well. And when I think of of what the kingdom of God looks like, I think of a multicultural, multi-generational church. Something I don't talk about very often is my time in Waterloo. Um, Much of it was difficult, hardest years of my life. And I accepted the position understanding that this was a church in disagreement, hurt, and division. Now, to, to not go into a long diatribe of everything that happened there and just be able to summarize it very shortly, There was a church split. The the former pastor was dismissed by the region because of moral failure. And within a month, he started another church in the town and took half of the church and the leadership team, right? And I went in there uh, about eight months later trying to pick up all the pieces, and I spent the next eight years trying to get the people that remained in the church to not reflect on the past, but to look to the future. And I'm going to be honest, I felt pretty ineffective. Uh, 
only way we as people are healed as a community is when we are aligned together because of God. When we're aligned together because of God and what he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. Now, difficulty in the church should be a foregone conclusion because humans are involved, okay? And so there, there are pastors I have heard before. You have not heard me utter this phrase. I'm just gonna be very clear about this. But I have heard pastors say, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the, the people. I'm here to tell you only Christ is perfect. Only Christ is perfect. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I said, Peter starts out, he's talking to husbands and wives, then he turns his attention to the church. And I want us to read starting at verse 8. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Let's stop right there. Everyone, say this after me, one mind. Now, you all have different thoughts right now. There are many different thoughts in this room. There are many different opinions in this room. And the things going through your head right now can vary. Where to some people I'm speaking directly to their heart and they're embracing it. Some people I'm speaking directly to their heart and I'm attacking it. Some people their heart is somewhere else in this town. Maybe warmer climates. I have no idea. So to ask us to be of one mind seems really challenging right out of the gate. Now let's listen to what Peter goes on to say. The rest of verse 8, sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy this life, Enjoy life and see many happy days. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, how it challenges hearts and minds. And Lord, if, if we're open to your Holy Spirit and what you're speaking, Father, Lord, it's conviction that's for reproof. Lord, it's productive. And so, God, if we trust and know that all good things flow from your throne, and that everything you speak is for our benefit, then we embrace what you're saying right now. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, right out of the gate, what I see is if Peter's imploring you to do anything, it's to walk in harmony. Now, do we have any singers in the room? 
Maybe you sing in the shower. You're singing in the car when you go. Now, our typical inclination when we are listening to music is to sing along with the melody. Now, no offense, I've heard many people try and sing along with the melody, and they're missing it, okay? They're, they're missing it. They're, they're not hitting the melody. But every now and then, there are people that try and also harmonize. And if they can't sing the melody, they definitely can't sing the harmony. Because that is so much more difficult, because it's understanding a complementary note to hit, right? Now, in harmony, if we're to walk in harmony and we know that vocally speaking, it's to not be like the other, it's to be, it's to be complementary, it's to, to bring a roundaboutness to the sound of who we are, we need to put some things into practice because we're all so very different. And these, there, there's four things I noticed right off the bat that we need to put into practice. And the first thing I see that Peter says is sympathy. Now I'm going to tell you that there are people I've heard, my, my wife will share the sympathy of her father when she was playing softball as a little girl. She would get hurt and he'd say, rub some dirt on it. Now, does that sound like sympathy to you? No, okay, so, so we can kind of have an idea what sympathy might be like. True sympathy is developed through suffering with someone. Now, God has called you to identify with and empathize with others, and so this can be in sorrow, but check this out, it can also be in joy. Listen to Romans 12, 15. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. So you and I, what we have to do is we have to have this awareness of what is going on around us and not just be focused on ourselves. Of all the various countries I have traveled to, I noticed there is a trend. And this trend is where there might be two or three lanes for traffic, that country has the ability to turn it into six, right? And one of the scariest places I have ever been as far as driving would be concerned was India. And as we're in India, we're going through what they call a tuk-tuk. And it's, it's, it's a motorcycle with basically this little carriage on the back. And they are weaving in and out of traffic. And this is, the, the, the town I went to is the 13th largest city in India with only 3 million people, okay? So we're, we're there and we're, we're in, you know, it's typical three lanes of traffic with seven different lanes going on. And they are weaving in and out and narrowly, I'm saying narrowly missing each other. You could stick your hand out and it would probably get hit. Right? And so we're sitting there, and I'm like, how on earth do I not see more accidents around here? And they're like, we all have a keen awareness of what's going on, and we just have to be conscious of those who are around us. Like, 
When we step into community in the church, you should be consciously aware of what's going on around you, and you should be sensitive too. To sympathize, we must also embrace suffering with those who are suffering. Listen to Hebrews 13.3. Uh, the, the, the author was imploring his audience, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Wow. Now, Peter goes on later in chapter 5, and he calls us to bear in mind the suffering of other saints, not just ourselves. And I know our nat natural response is to say, well, listen, you don't know everything I'm going through, though. I, I deserve some attention. I'm the one that deserves the sympathy. I'm telling you, that is a mindset that is going to leave you trapped the rest of your life. Yesterday, I, I was overhearing this conversation, and this conversation was, they were arguing with who had been busier over the week. And I found it fascinating because I, I'm sitting there thinking, should I speak up? Because I bet I could, uh, we could compare notes and I'd win. But I, I, I said, those are games I don't play, right? That, that, that is something that I don't get involved in. And what happens is we develop this mindset that's selfish. And we're not being considerate of other people. And so if you just change that mindset to focus on others, then the pain and the things that you are dealing with don't seem so bad. Listen, life is life. Can we all admit that it kind of stinks sometimes, you know? There are going to be difficult things we go through, and we have to measure that and compartmentalize it in the realm of us looking to eternity there are necessary things that we must suffer through in this life. And so if we just embrace that suffering is a part of it, then we can also accept that we have a ministry role to provide to our community in sympathizing with each other. The second thing that I noticed that Peter points out is to have brotherly love for one another. Now, the Greek here, uh, word here is philia, which is, it, it describes this effectual love for one another. Something interesting about Jesus as he called people to be his disciples, he required this kind of love from them. Listen to what he says in John 13, 34 through 35. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And the word that he used here in the Greek was philia. Love each other. Just as I have loved you and you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. But Peter is asking us to go beyond loving those who are just close to you. Loving those who are your family, but loving our fellow man that we live life with. 
And I want you to think about the church that doesn't love each other well. If Jesus says your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, what are we proving if we don't love one another? Right? Thirdly, tender hearts. Kind-hearted or tender-hearted. The original use of the word here is referred to as intestinal or vital organs. That's the root definition of the word, right? And so Peter is asking us to have depth of concern or compassion towards each other from our inner being, from our loins. And so if sympathy refers to our commitment to know how others are doing, being tender-hearted means to have an emotional response. I'm going to tell you what I've learned about the heart of God when you're in the heart of God. That when you see someone broken and weeping, I found myself weeping with them. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that's the work of the Spirit of God. He is moving upon you, stirring you up to be tenderhearted toward that person. And check this out. Where that is a great visual expression to the one you're ministering to, the Spirit of God moves on you in a way that it doesn't just end there. You go home and you find yourself still moved for that person. And so you're praying for them. You're committed to walking with them through something. You know, this was prominent in Jesus' life and ministry, and I'm just gonna give one example of this. In, in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to be clear. It's not always easy. It's not easy. But with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, we can be tender-hearted toward people even if we don't understand what they're going through. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, Humility. Humility starts by recognizing that you have weakness and limitations. Now the strengths that we have, if you want to walk in true humility, the strengths that you have are a gift and come from God. Don't take credit for it in and of yourself. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10, Peter says God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. I want you to think about the character of Jesus. Jesus was characterized by humility, not pride. It says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The qualities that Peter is calling you to 
are the qualities of God. Are you hearing me, church? So many might see this and then think, these characteristics, if I'm to take these on, make me look kind of weak. That is our natural human response. But I want you to think, especially you men, I want you to hear me out and I want you to, I want you to hear what I truly believe. These actual characteristics produced by the Spirit are often contrary to our flesh. Okay? It's actually more difficult for you to achieve and requires a strength that in and of yourself you don't have. I was at a church once. I was, I was asked to speak to their men's group. And I walked in with a shirt that I was very proud of. It was, it was pink. I didn't realize the kind of men's group I was walking into. Every guy that went to that church, I believe the requirement was you must own a truck. And the most common phrase that I heard that weekend was, man card revoked. And I got to tell you, I mean, this pink shirt, I, I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty masculine man. I felt pretty good in it. I looked in the mirror that morning, I'm like, dude, you look good. And... And here I am, I've got a bunch of guys going, who is this guy? And I tried to argue with them, and I couldn't get it through their thick skulls, that if they just open themselves up to a color that in their mind they have deemed feminine, they might not look like such slobs. Just saying. It was just a thought, you know? And so for us to take on being sympathetic toward one another, for us to be tender-hearted, right? For us to take on humility or to express brotherly love to one another, that requires a strength that many of us need. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit in that. Now the next thing I want to turn to as we move away from these four keys that we need to practice regularly, seek the Spirit of God on, is that if you choose to be a blessing, you'll receive a blessing. See, many people walk into the doors of the church and they're saying to the Lord, bless me. And they're, they're saying that before they ever dare even think about being a blessing to others. Church, we are called to bless. And it, it is a product of oftentimes when we approach church, we, we focus on the wrong aspects of being in the church. We think, what can the church do to bless me? How can it benefit me? And it might not be said verbally, but is demonstrated by the, the 22 years of pastoring I have done, where I have heard phrases, now this has been not just spoken to me, but I've heard it from other pastors. I didn't receive anything from the message today. 
Pastor, the church should do an outreach to insert people group here. Oh, but don't ask me to do that. Right? I, I've heard those kind of things. And so the church in the United States has jumped more into this idea of being in the customer acquisition business. I want you to hear me out here. The church has become more in the customer acquisition business than the follower of Christ acquisition business. And so the church all of a sudden, when it becomes in the customer acquisition business, it comes into focus where we need to retain customers. And so all of a sudden, the church has to provide for the specific needs. And what happens is it becomes an inward focus. Not the needs of others outside of these four walls, but the needs of those in it. What God is asking is for a focus off of ourselves as a community. Now, now I, I want to be clear because needs arise, right? So I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I'm, I'm not saying, hey, you can't have that. Genuine needs arise. But if we start with a mindset first of saying, I want to purpose in and of myself to be a blessing, not seek to just be blessed, the church benefits. Now to get to that place requires maturity, requires a change of focus. Now the community of the church as a reflection of Christ requires that we enter into serving one another, serving humanity. And God has blessed us with specific provisions where we can then, in turn, bless others. Maybe for you it's a particular skill or a resource that you have or just offering help. Maybe being a listening ear or maybe providing accountability to someone you're close with. Now, everyone in the church has an opportunity to either A, take on being a blessing, or you could take on being a burden. Now, I'm going to accept there are things that I personally cannot provide where if you get me involved with a certain group and maybe you have a certain focused ministry, my involvement might bring the group down a little bit. The women here are thankful that I was not at the Christmas party. Amen? And I, as a type A personality, you don't ask me to say, Pastor, we have this hoarder in the church and we need to go in and we need to sort their house. I'm going to walk in there and my brain is going to explode. Now, I might say there are other ways I can help to be of use here. Maybe have me outside just sorting one item at, the, at a time. I can do that. But to take in everything at once would be too much for me. But there are other assets I do provide, and it's not to say that we can't have needs. It's not to say that we can't help others in the church, but it's to acknowledge that God has uniquely brought us all together with different skills, different gifts, and we should be offering that up, amen? 
It is us committing to one another as you would in true friendship. And so, think about true friendship for a minute. You know, me illustrating to my kids what a friend really looks like has been important because true friendship isn't one-sided. It's not one person always asking for things from the other person, right? It is reciprocating. So if you want to be a friend, you listen, but you also get a turn to talk. Amen? You bring something to the relationship, and you receive something from the relationship. I believe the church should, should approach in the same way, but our attitude should start with service. Think about the most famous quote from JFK. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. When I say church, I I don't want you to think of me. I don't want you to think of the leadership team. I don't want you to think of this building. I want you to look around the room. That's what I'm talking about. Because I believe the blessing comes from you serving like Christ did. Something that I want you to write down, and I'd love for you to argue with me from Scripture. God is not obligated to bless you. He's not obligated to bless you. Now, he chooses And he chooses based off of your obedience. And many presume that God's blessing was theirs alone throughout history. I want you to think of this. Think of Jonah. All right? Jonah came from the people of God, and God asked him to preach to the Ninevites, and all Jonah wanted to see was that God destroy them. You see, where Jonah came from, only he deserved to be blessed. How dare you bless these people who are evil? They shouldn't be offered a second chance. God, you should just destroy them. The self-righteous Jews in Jesus' day, where they thought of themselves as elite, and those who were not elite, they pushed to the outskirts of town. Are they not Jews? You know, it dumbfounds me. I, I, as a parent of special needs kids, I, I get particularly affected by this because if you, if you read scripture in the day, those who were of disability were pushed to the outside. <laughs> Are they not entitled to the blessings of God? You know? then what happens is if we take on this mindset of God has to bless me because of X, Y, and Z, then we feel no obligation ourselves to be a blessing to the ungodly. And I'm going to tell you, if you read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Translation is, be 
a blessing to those who hate you. Think about it. Mark 10, 45, you guys know I have beat you to death with this verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are God's expectations. These are God's expectations for us. Because here is the thing that you need to take home to the bank. The world is watching how the church treats each other. I want to say it again. The world is watching how you treat each other. Right? When the church fights, when it divides, the world is watching because they want to use it to discredit God. Are you hearing me? So when David and Peter refer to searching for peace, he is saying this, search for common ground amongst each other. Search for common ground. Church, I'm going to say this, I'm going to be very clear. Jesus Christ is our common ground. Jesus is our common ground. And he is the uniting factor, but also we use him as the example for how we are to treat each other. Another great passage of scripture that is directed toward wives and husbands but gives a complementary effect of the church is how Jesus treats the church. Listen to Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. We're also going to read verses, verse 29, and then we're going to read verses 31 and 32. It starts out, this is Paul, he says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Verse 29 says, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Verse 31, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. There was a pastor I knew. This is about two years ago. He was online, social media, and you know, I... I still have some social media accounts, but I, I really am not using it anymore. It's just, it's more peaceful up here. Um, but he was going online and he was ridiculing the church. This was a pastor ridiculing the global church. And here he is, he's doing it publicly, and I decided, all right, I've had enough. Typically, I do not get involved in anything like that online, just because I know where it devolves to, I know where it goes. But I decide I had enough, and I came from this angle, listen, churches are messy. They're messy. People get hurt by church all the time. Churches are not perfect. We are human. We can't be perfect. Amen? Amen? But 
if we maintain our focus on Christ, if we allow Jesus to be the center, he repeatedly cleanses us and he makes us holy. Are you hearing me? And when the church is walking in proper representation of Christ, she is unstoppable. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the one whole body, so it is the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Not only when we are one spirit do we point each other to Christ, but the Holy Spirit can fully work in us and through us. And this is activated by when we choose to set aside our differences, center our relationships on the Lord, and seek him together. Now Christ set it up so that we are most effective with other people, and we need each other, and he shows up when we seek him together. So you should not try and do it on your own. I've heard many people say, but I can be a Christian at home. And I don't have to put up with all these people. Then why would Jesus say in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I'm there among them. Why would he leave that caveat? Because as a community, we need each other. We need each other. We weren't meant to go do faith and live by ourselves or on our own. We need each other and we should embrace the differences within this body of believers. But in order to do that, one of the biggest keys that Peter says here is that you have to work to maintain peace. Some of us have a hard time working to maintain peace within our own homes. Let's be real, okay? So to work to maintain peace, you have to understand that one, there are hills not worth dying on, right? Everything outside of Scripture is flexible, right? We have scripture to stand upon and that is our guide. Everything outside of it is flexible though. And so knowing that and knowing that we are human, we have a differing of opinions that happen and happen often. And who knows that classic saying, opinions are like noses? All of us have them and you generally pick your own. And if you're picking others, that's weird, okay? And like marital relationships, relationships in the church, hear me out, they take work. And it requires overlooking differences for the sake of being unified. So let's be clear as I'm finishing up here, like we're, we're very close. Let's be clear, we as believers aren't asked to overlook sin. That's important. 
That's something that we have to embrace. Who knows when we don't overlook sin knows that that can cause a little bit of conflict, right? And I've heard so many say, Pastor, doesn't Matthew chapter 7 tell us not to judge? And I'd say, no, it does not. It says, do not judge, for you will be judged according to the same measure as which you judge. And so what that is telling us is that if we judge our fellow believers against the word of God, that is the standard by which we should be expected to be judged ourselves. Now, I can't hold the world to that standard. They don't believe it, right? But if you are here and saying, I'm a follower of Christ, then we should hold each other to that standard. Are you hearing me? That can create conflict. And that is something that I accept. So to work to maintain peace and the proper balance of the church is to make sure that she is seen as spotless and cleansed before a father who sent his son to make sure that she would be. Okay? And so for us, as long as we as a church, we don't let pride get in the way, this is a way of peace. In Matthew chapter 18, because conflicts do arise, Jesus, what he did was, he told us how to confront a sinning brother, and it's a three-step process. And that's a perfect example that there's not always peace in the church because of sin. So we as the church, we need to agree that we want to be focused on the mission of Christ. You know, everyone knows John 3.16, or at least you should. But I want you to listen to verse 17. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, the church should not operate out of a place of condemnation, but drawing others to Christ through acts of service to one another and to the world. Okay? So Jesus, what he did was he gave his life for you so that you in turn could receive his blessing, which is eternity. And by Jesus doing all this, qualified him to be the perfect judge when the end comes. Now, the church can only be on mission when Christ is at the center of our relationships, okay? And so this is how it starts. And this is, this is where I, I really want you to just focus on yourself right now. This has been a message about focusing on others, but this is where it starts with yourself. It starts with reconciling yourself to God. We did that in communion today, didn't we? That if we have sin in our life, we reconcile ourselves to God. This is where it goes to next. Reconciling yourself to others who you've sinned against or who've hurt you to make peace. It's not worth warring amongst the body of believers because the world is watching. 
chances are it was a stupid thing that started the war to begin with. It usually is. Married people, for just a second, how oftentimes have, has a fight or argument devolved so bad that you're sitting there and you're thinking, wait, how did we get here? And then you realize it was where, over, where you wanted to go for dinner. You know? Something absolutely stupid. That's most of us. The other thing is, if your relationship with the church is difficult because of bitterness or past church hurt, except that anyone claiming to be sinless is wrong, right? They're wrong. And if we acknowledge if anyone who has sinned that claims a loving God that's forgiven them, which all of us have, we're a byproduct of that blessing, nothing in and of ourselves that we have done to deserve it, because we are sinners though, that makes us hypocritical sometimes. Listen, I can't be perfect, but I have to preach the perfect word of God. So there are times I have to get up here and I have to say I've failed. And I believe admitting that is godly because we're not perfect. And so something that I want you to accept is If you're claiming someone else is a hypocrite and that has hurt you, you're hypocritical as well, okay? Because we've all sinned. And so embrace that right now so that you can get over that pain and hurt. My encouragement to you is you need to let it go and let God be the center again of your relationships, of maybe a relationship in this church that has been divided. We need to seek reconciliation. I want to pray. I I, I want to pray right now if you could close your eyes. Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for each and every person in this room. And Lord, your, your word that is good, that calls us back, and what it calls us back to Lord, is being reconciled to you, letting your son be the center, and not letting outside forces waver who we are supposed to be. God, we cannot control that other person that we have been at odds with or that might hurt us in the future. Lord, we can only control ourselves and how we choose to respond. And God, I cry out right now for a spirit of reconciliation to fall in this church, first and foremost, that we maintain this relationship with you, God, where we find sin abhorrent, Father, and that we seek to walk as that cleansed, righteous person covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that furthermore, God, those 
who have sinned against us or maybe we have sinned against that has caused this divide, God, that we will recognize the gift that we have in you to be reconciled to you because, Lord, you are perfect. We are the one that we messed up. And yet, God, you have extended this hand of reconciliation. God, I pray that we in turn will also be an extension of that hand to other people. And so, Lord, if there are those in this room who would lift their hands to you because they've been hurt, they're walking in hurt, God, that you will remove that from them in Jesus' name. That, Lord, they will see how they can be used for your greater good to bring about peace in their lives, in their community, in this church, Father. And Lord, there are many things that are just not worth it. And so God, I just pray that Lord, we will focus our attention on you, how your son suffered, how he did that for the betterment of our lives, and how that also makes us complete in you. And God, that's my desire for, for everyone. That they see and know that, Lord, we are only who we are because of you and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we embrace that. And Lord, may that be what others see. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Lastly, I wanna be clear. This is something that you take with you because you might have a response that's needed. Whether it's denouncing sin and removing things from your life or reconciling a relationship. And I know Sometimes saying, I'm sorry, is very difficult, especially if you feel you are right. But you know what I learned a long time ago? Me being sorry is for anything that I have caused to make that person do the things that they've done. I'm sorry for my involvement. Listen because at some point, I probably did something wrong too, right? And so don't go in there thinking, well, I'm still above them, I'm without blame, but I'll say I'm sorry. No, at some, in some way, you might have inadvertently had a hand in it. Now I know there's innocent people, but here's the thing, for the sake of reconciliation, I'm sorry over anything in our past. I want to move past that with you for a better future. That's where we start, church. That's where we start. So I want you to pray on it because I believe that God is going to give you an opportunity to reconcile relationships that have been divided. That's the way of his son. Let's be those people, amen.